What's going on, everybody, and welcome back to the Abundant Journey Podcast. We are super glad you are joining today. I'm your host, Nick James, with my co-host, Nick Offenkamp. Nick, how are you? I'm really well. How about yourself? I'm doing good, man. It's been a great week so far, and we had a great episode here, and we wanted to do a quick little introduction for uh, for the episode upcoming. Sometimes we do that. Tell me a little bit about what you thought as we interviewed our first Nick on the podcast, so we had three. <laughs> Nicks. Yeah, that was definitely uh, something special having Nick, Nick, and Nick on the, the podcast. <laughs> definitely created its own little logistical challenges, but uh, in the end, I'd do it again. Absolutely. So I would as well. Any other Nicks that are listening, come on. Come on. We'd love to have you on the show. <laughs> but uh, Nick Stagerberg. Yep. It's, it's not intuitive That's pronouncing right. his name the way that you see it written out, uh, but and Nick Stagerberg is is awesome. Yep. It, it was uh, um, he was a guy that didn't really know, like so many of these interviews, exactly what to expect, but still exceeded all of my expectations in uh, the amount of experience and wisdom and principles. I mean, he just hit on so much in terms of how to be successful as an investor, how to be successful in running a business, how to hustle, how to treat people, how to be generous, mindset things. Um, and he was so honest and transparent even about the different things that he's working on and going through now and struggles that he's yep. having. And so it's it's hard to like boil that down into, you know, what was my one favorite thing. Yeah. Um, it was like a, a shotgun shell of just, uh, <laughs> you know, a, hundred thousand nuggets to take away. How about you? Dude, I agree completely with everything you've said. You know, it was interesting in, in hearing a little bit of his story before we had him on the podcast. Um, I love the, the things that he's doing now and just the radical generosity that he lives out and has at the forefront of his company. I think something that I didn't expect was he really dove into his, his beliefs. He really dove into the history of his life and the ways that growing up has really shaped who he is. And I, I mean, I'll be honest, there, there's some raw moments in this podcast, I think that challenged me and how I think and the ways that I look at the world and, you know, not saying I agree with everything. Um, but I think it was so thought provoking and, you know, he gave some, some disclaimers and warning labels like, Hey, I'm not sure how your audience is going to yeah, take right, this. Right. I'm not sure how you guys are going to feel about this, but I think, you know, just leaning in with the perspective that this is a guy who, you know, from an early childhood didn't have a father and how that impacted him. And then in addition to that, moved out of his home at 14 and had to blaze his own trail. You know, people, I think, who have that kind of a vantage point, um, they have a different perspective on the world. And, you know, me living in my safe, warm, comfortable bubble all of my life growing up, uh, it, it's great to be challenged in those ways. So I'd, I'd encourage anybody listening, you know, to grab a pen and paper, take some great notes, not saying you agree or we agree with everything that was said, but at the very least, spend some, spend some time thinking and chewing on it. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, you can tell how fundamental like food insecurity, just basically fighting for survival was for him in his early formative years and how much then that's shaped his um, ability to hustle and to work hard. And um, yeah, it's it's a great episode because I expect that 
our audience is probably not going to agree with everything that, that he <laughs> yeah. says, um, or at least there's there's some amazing moments where he addresses uh, our listeners very directly, and uh, I think that that's a it's a good thing in terms of uh, whenever our comfort gets shaken up a little bit, and so well worth the the listen, well worth the engagement, and. Gosh, I'd love to know what our people think about it. So, um, you know, whether that's in a, a comment on the podcast platform that you're listening on or whether that's on the website, uh, leaving a comment on the blog, uh, it would just be amazing to to hear what's hitting you, what your takeaways are. Yep, absolutely. We'll uh, grab a pen and paper and we'll jump right in. Right on. And we're super excited for our guest today. It is a first. We ironically have another Nick on the show. So we are rocking three Nicks today, and Nick Stogerberg is coming to us from Minnesota, and we're excited to jump in, hear his story, and talk a little bit more about his uh, his journey with his family, his entrepreneurial endeavors. Nick, three, how are you, sir? I'm doing fantastic. It's an honor and a privilege to be with you here today. No, it's great to have you, and for those of you um, who, who know, I love, I'm the networker of the group and I love to build relationships with folks. And so I reach, reach out to people all over the country when I hear their story and Nick has been gracious enough to jump on with us. So Nick, let's just dive right in here. Tell us a little bit about your background and history. And I want to go back to like childhood, cause I know that we've shared that there's some entrepreneurial endeavors, uh, in, in what you're doing today, but what got you there? So tell us early life, what that was like. Sure. Uh, you know, me today, I'm a, a husband, father, got four kiddos, uh, seven, five, three, and one. Uh, I have a, a real estate private equity firm that I manage, uh, Black Swan Real Estate. We have about a, a third of a billion in assets under management. Uh, we're vertically integrated with a property management company, a maintenance company, cleaning. Uh, just bought a couple hundred thousand dollars of tractors and stuff as we get ready for the, wow. the high season here. Uh, before, before that life, though, I had a whole career in, in IT. Uh, did two uh, very successful tech startups. Uh, went from, you know, the first one went from 13 million venture capital to 100 million private equity sale over the course of nine years. And the second one, we went from, you know, a handful of engineers to 13 teams of engineers I was leading over the course of, of three years. Uh, to prepare for that journey, I, I got a, a bachelor's degree in computer science and a bachelor's degree in ministry. Uh, and then, you know, kind of going way back to the beginning, um, you know, I've, I've noticed I, I'm, I'm a student of people who are very successful or people who have interesting life stories. I, I find there's there's a magic combination that I see almost universally, which is having a lot of adversity in, in concert with with love and, and, and support and uh, and just just having an environment where you know that you're going to be OK even though it's it's not very okay and and i'd certainly got that that magic formula and i'm, I'm so grateful for that today when i was when i was very young when i was six years old my my mother had a, a traumatic brain injury uh you know never never met my father so i i kind of was uh you know uh, uh, the the head of the household at a, at a very young age and uh you know i'm so glad that i was able to to stay with my mom i was never you know, in like the foster care system or anything of that nature, uh, but grew up, you know, uh, on government benefits and Section 8 housing and, and, and that whole story, uh, you know, but but ultimately, you know, my mom loved me 
And uh, I think we all could be so lucky as to have a, a, a crazy person that believes in them. So my mom, you know, a, a piece of her brain bigger than your fist didn't didn't work. She had to relearn how to, to walk and talk and, you know, was, uh, you know, struggled with, with mental illness and all sorts of, uh, you know, uh, disabilities her whole life. But she believed in me and she would, you know, say crazy things like, oh, Nick, you're going to be the president of the United States one day or you're going to, you know, be the CEO of some super company one day or whatever. I'm like, no, mom, you're crazy. Like, you're actually crazy. And she's like, no, I just believe in you. Uh, and I think we all just need a, a crazy person that believes in them. And that, that was just this incessant messaging that I heard at the youngest age. And um, it, there's a great book, the, the Drama of the Gifted Child. So when you're a, a young person, and you have to work your heart out just to survive. That creates a something called uh, ego strength. So that's a belief that you are, you're strong, you're powerful, you can prevail. And it turns out that that's really most of what's needed uh, to succeed in any endeavor in life is just just grit. You know, it's just the ability to to push just a little bit harder when everyone else gives up. And uh, you know, gifted children. It turns out that uh, that's just one of the, the 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 core pieces of the puzzle. It's not that you're really that much smarter than anyone else. It's just that you somehow, for whatever reason, you had a collection of circumstances that gave you this notion that you have the ability to push through to to persevere. You know, being like really good at math is not really a function of being gifted. It's just it's just trying hard at math. Um, I had to try really hard at survival. Uh, mm. So, you know, we would struggle with uh, with homelessness, with, you know, with with food insecurity. You know, we never starved, but we weren't, you know, sure where our next meal would necessarily come from, uh, you know, working with the system to make sure that uh, we could get help. But also, you know, if it was obvious just how much help we needed, I knew that I would probably be taken away from my mom, which is just a devastating, you know, thing for me to, to contemplate. So just having to, to do it all, all on my own and, and be learn to be resourceful, right? So resourcefulness, that is a muscle that you get to build. And I got to build that in spades. Uh, and uh, as I got a little bit older, as I became a teenager, uh, you know, my mom's uh, kind of condition deteriorated. And I think all teenagers really like to go out and do their own thing anyway. And I I said, you know, I really can't do this much longer. And so I moved out on my own when I was 14 and found a person who uh, uh, they had a, a house that was not in the best condition and they had a, a basement in that house that was in much worse condition. And uh, that's just where they let their dog, you know, go to the bathroom. That was just their strategy for that. Yeah. And I said, hey, uh, you know, if uh, if I, you know, like renovate your basement and clean it up and like take your dog for a walk and teach him to not poop in the house, uh, could I live in your basement for free? And they said, you know, sure, I guess so. And uh, and that's how I, you know, kind of like procured housing for myself, essentially, while I was, you know, in high school and stuff. And uh, that that concept there of like creating a, a a no brainer offer for someone where you just create massive value for someone where they're like, well, uh, I mean, I'd be crazy to say no to that. Uh, like that right there, it's, it's, I don't know, it's the premise for all that I do today. And it's, it's the thing that I credit for, for all my success. I'm just always asking myself, mm. how can I create so much value for someone else? How can I find someone who has a problem and I can solve that problem in a way that just, they, they almost laugh out loud. That it's just such an easy decision for them to make. If I do that, I'm going to, I'm going to have everything that I need. All my needs are going to be met and, and, and scarcity is an inward facing emotion, right? Uh, depression and fear. We can only experience those emotions when we're, when we're thinking about ourselves. And if we think about serving others, like, well, you know, if, if I could help someone with their housing situation, like 
I'm probably going to have my housing needs taken care of. That's just how the universe works. And it's so much more motivating to wake up in the morning and think, well, how can I how can I serve someone else than to wake up in the morning and think, well, crap, I'm homeless and I need a place to live. And I mean, I, I credit that with my, my, my faith and my background there. Uh, I credit that with having some really incredible mentors, like you just, you know, God or the universe or whoever put some really incredible people in my life that, um, you know, gave me a lot of uh, mentorship and coaching. They said, man, here's a kid with some grit that I really want to see succeed. Um, I, I, I get very little of the credit in any of these things. Um, but that's kind of what my, you know, what my young life looked like. It was a very unusual young life, but I learned a lot about, about hustle, about hard work, about creativity, resourcefulness, about creating value and deal making. And, um, and that's really all that I do to this day is just, uh, just find a way to create massive value for other people. We do that with our private equity fund. We do that with our charitable giving. We do that when we hire new staff members. Um, I'm doing shadowing today. So uh, there's an individual who inquired about working for us. And uh, I looked at the resume for like 30 seconds. I called him. I said, hey, I'm doing training with two new, uh, two new hires tomorrow. Would you like to just come shadow us for a day? And uh, you need to sign a non-disclosure agreement and stuff. Uh, and if at the end of an entire day of new hire training, uh, it seems like you might be a good fit for our team and you are interested in working for us, um, we'll hire you. And uh, by the way, you'll also be trained just conveniently. And uh, it's not just one day of training, but you will have already knocked out that one day of training. But I was just like, well, you know, I just got this resume in tonight. I, you know, I got this resume in my inbox last night at like, you know, seven o'clock. And I already had a whole day of training on my calendar for today uh, with two new hires. And I'm like, well, I can train three people just as well as two. So uh, let's just throw a third one in the mix and see how it goes. I don't know why, but I just I know that I'm weird that way. I know that most people don't think that way. But like, why would that person, this is a person who's looking for a job, they would get an entire free day of training. Like, why would a person ever turn that down? I know they don't have anything better to do with their time because they're actively looking for a job right now. So, like, there's like a little, you know, pause in the conversation. Whenever, whenever you're making an irresistible offer, like, the conversation skips a beat where they're like, wait, what? Uh, yeah, I mean, hell yeah. Yeah, I'll, I'll be there at 8 a.m., you know? That, like, that's the moment that I'm just trying to make as many times per day as I can possibly make. And, uh, uh, you know, if there's, if there's one thing I would credit, you know, for, for the success that I have, you know, to this day, it would be, it'd be whatever that thing is right there. Like, okay, like how can we just make this an insanely valuable proposition for this person? I love that. And what an, what an incredible beginning to your story. And, um, I mean, obviously met with adversity, met with walls, to go through hurdles to overcome. I think that's crazy. I'm curious at, in hearing the early part of your story, obviously, you know, your heartbeat and DNA of the company is to add as much value as you can. And that was the first thing you had ever said to me when we got on a call together, you said, Hey, how can I add value to your day? Which, right. which you're exactly right. People don't even ask that a lot of times they're like, Hey, what, what do you need? What's going on? You know? So that's how you lead conversations with people that you right. don't even know uh, curious like what got you into that mindset i mean i know you've attributed some to your faith i mean what did you see that modeled or did was there a mentor that was like this is the way you have to approach business i mean what what got you into that frame of mindset sure and and 
I, I appreciate that call out there. So this is not just a mindset thing. This is a tactical thing. I literally start every single phone call that I have with what can I do to provide you with the most amount of value today? That's literally how I start every meaningful conversation I have. And, uh, and that particular tactic I learned from a mentor of mine, her name is Erin Duckworth. And I noticed she started every, uh, every meeting that she ever had with what did you hope to achieve in our time together today? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, I really love that. But I want to make, th- I want to like take that up even another notch because I think a lot of people walk into a meeting, not even asking themselves what they want to achieve in that meeting, but not even really knowing what would bring them value. And, and a lot of times the conversation skips a beat. They're like, oh, uh, you know, I really want to talk to you about investing, but like, you're like a minister or something, right? Uh, you know, I just had a knockdown drag out fight with my wife and wow. my head's not on straight. And I mean, there's no way I can really talk about invest. I mean, is there any way, can, can I just unload on you about this thing? Absolutely. Like whatever is going to provide you with value. And again, like the conversation just like skips a beat and you just cut to the chase, you know, like the first 10 seconds of the conversation. So, uh, and then to answer your question, so, so if you have, if anyone listening to this has a tactical takeaway, like when I sit down, I just write down on a piece of paper, what can I do to provide you with the most amount of value today? And I just write it down. And there's something magical about that of, mm-hmm. you know, they said, can you help me with my wife? I write down, I can help this person with their wife. And mm-hmm. I just focus on that and they have a good outcome and, and that's all there is to it. Um, yeah, in terms of, you know, background and stuff, like I remember, uh, <clears throat> and I don't know, we're kind of diving, diving headfirst into this. Yeah, you know, I, so I, I don't know your audience super well, or hopefully this is appealing to them or whatever. But I remember when I was very young. I don't know. I, I'm tearing up just a little bit thinking about it. And I remember feeling a, a, a huge sense of of rage, of injustice, of having a giant chip on my shoulder, that like everyone else had a parent to take care of them why the fuck do I have to take care of my parent? Like what it's, it's so unfair. And mm-hmm. I had a lot of enemies. I had, I had people that I just, I hated. Uh, and I made up this story that they hated me, wealthy people, you know, people more successful than me, uh, people that I feel like had like an easy life. And I think that people do that to kind of, prop up their own ego to have that ego strength, that concept, as I mentioned, but it's really toxic. It's really Mm. exhausting Mm. to have these beliefs that there's people out there that like are your, your enemies or that you hate them or they hate you. And, um, you know, there's a, there's a piece of advice, you know, love, love your enemy. You know, so there's a, you know, there's a message from Jesus. I I don't care what your spiritual beliefs are. Um, you know, call it God or the universe or whatever. You know, I, I love reading the holy scriptures of all faiths. I think there's wisdom there to be gotten from all, but just love your enemies. I remember reading that and thinking, well, how stupid is that? Hmm. Like, how could you love your enemy? And, uh, and I said, you know, my life is pretty awful. I don't know if it could get much worse. Like what a depressing feeling that is. I, I think I'm like 10 years old, 11 years old or something. And I thought, you know, I'm just going to give it a try. I'm just going to try loving my enemies and just like, just see what happens. I've got nothing to lose. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and I did. And my whole life changed. And the funny thing is when you love your enemies pretty quickly, they're not your enemies anymore. And you figure out that 
the things that you perceive in others, they're just a reflection of yourself. When you see greed in someone else, it's really just a reflection of your own shame at your own greed. When you see, uh, you know, self-consciousness, you know, someone who's, who feels self-conscious about their appearance or their uh, poise or their speaking skills, really it's just a reflection of your own insecurities about your own appearance, your own speaking yeah. skills or whatever. Uh, you know, it's easy to spot the log in someone else's eye, but miss the speck in your own. And uh, no one hated me. I hated myself and I, I was surrounded by people who loved me and all I had to do was love them. And if I just loved people, they would love me and I would just be surrounded by love. I, I, I had this incredible moment. I, I just celebrated my 40th birthday here a few weeks ago and my wife threw this party. This is the most insane party I've ever seen. There were hundreds of people there just to wow. celebrate uh, the impact I've had the privilege to make on their life. And they're, my wife got little clips, little like five second clips of people, you know, saying thank you or how I've like made a difference in their life. And it was a, it was a 15 minute long video of just people <laughs> expressing okay. gratitude to me. There are so many people in our life who love us and we just, we never take a moment to just feel that love. And when, when you, when you do that, like there's no fear in the world, there's no doubt, there's no, uh, scarcity, um, but the trick of it is it, it has to come from you. You have to love other people first. You have to give to other people first. And if you do that, that's going to be reflected back to you tenfold. And I know it sounds crazy, but that's how the world works. Like, like let's talk tactics for a second. So this is really touchy-feely stuff we're talking about here. So let's say you are a militant atheist and you live in a universe of scarcity and you are f confronting a, a sales problem, for example. Uh, we are a very successful sales organization in our leasing, uh, you know, of, of residential units, and also also in our capital raising. And people are always blown away when they, they hear that we don't do a single cold call. We don't do a single cold call. We don't pay for any lists. We don't do any of that conventional boiler room garbage. It's just horrible culture. We just provide insane value. Uh, my wife, uh, who's my full partner in the business, um, you know, and, and has very similar kind of you know beliefs to my own, uh, she or I will go do some sort of public speaking engagement almost every day, and just figure out how can we provide more value to people than anyone else would ever imagine, and and to just give it away. And I mean, ninety percent of the value you have to offer the world is value you can offer for free. So just give it away, and then whatever value comes back to you is what was meant to be. Like we had a. We had an open house uh, of this landmark building. We had uh, old city hall. It's the former city hall of Rochester, and it's renovated now into an apartment building. I can't believe we own the thing. Like <laughs> we own the city hall. Like that's so crazy. Yeah. But it's it's a, it's a public it's a public space. It's a sacred space. It's this beautiful building. Just it's a hundred years old. Uh, Art Deco, Roaring Twenties architecture, triple crown molding, floor to ceiling marble wainscoting, terrazzo floors. 10 foot tall light fixtures, just insane. And so we just did an open house and we, I mean, we have to staff it up because it's, it's an occupied apartment building. So it costs us some money and like the news was there and, uh, you know, TV, the newspaper and stuff and former city council members stopped by, former developers and just, just a who's who of Rochester just showed up and hundreds and hundreds of local people. And uh, I don't know if we're going to like lease any units off that, but I can tell you, we, we, we never want for lack of inquiry, people reaching out to us saying, Hey, like, could I, could I live there? That, that place felt special, right? Mm. How much more fun is it 
to just like shower your community in abundance than to make a cold call. Hmm. You know, and investors, anyone can go to meetblackswan.com anytime, block a time on our calendar, whatever we can do to provide you with value, we're happy to do a call. You know, you can sign up for our mailing list. We try to just provide real value. We do monthly free coaching. We have a course where we give 100% of the revenue to charity. It's a pay what you can model. Last year, we built a school. We found a, an abandoned 40,000 square foot office building and uh, and converted it into a school. There's hundreds of students using that school right now. And all these things are marketing of a kind, right? Like, like things come back to us. People reach out to us and they're, they're just like, I want to invest with you. I want to lease an apartment from you. I want to, you know, like an architect really wants to build a building for us uh, after after touring City Hall. He's like, this is so amazing. I want to do something like this again. So you, you just never know what's going to come back to you, but you have to project that love, that abundance, and it'll get you up in the morning. Like if you if you're just wondering about what you can get for yourself, you are going to get just enough to get by, and you're. And you're going to be frustrated doing it. You're going to, you're not going to be fulfilled. You're not, you're not going to feel a sense of joy, but you can never give enough to other people. There, that's a, that's a bottomless well you can keep going back to. And, and people who say that money can't buy happiness, they never gave enough away. Like, like that's like the most joyful thing I think you can do. If you're, if you're having a rough day, just find someone, give them a hundred bucks. Like find someone who truly is worthy of it. That's going to, you know, impact their life in some material way. Just the search alone is going to brighten your day because those feelings of scarcity, doubt, uh, you know, those are inward facing emotions. And the moment you start to face outward and just say, how can I help someone today? Like, like just a smile comes onto your face. It's, it's inescapable. That's remar- uh, There's so much here that, uh, that I love. Um, I mean, and there's, I've been taking notes, <laughs> just a <laughs> tremendous amount of, uh, of wisdom. I can't believe what a, uh, a pivotal point that was for you coming to the realization of, uh, love your enemies, the insight on, um, actually, uh, what I'm perceiving as uh, people's own attitude towards me is more of a reflection of my own evaluation of myself. Pretty remarkable how early on in your life you had that revelation. And um, I imagine, I don't know how much reflecting you've done on uh, how different the trajectory of your life could have or would have been had you have not come to that realization. Um, and then certainly there's a, you know, an impressive amount of resourcefulness that you had to learn. Uh, mostly it sounds like due to your just unique and, and challenging uh, upbringing. Um, so I am curious uh, to hear you speak more to that resourcefulness. I mean, at 14 years old to see this opportunity with a basement that, hey, it needs a lot of work. You had to have an imagination that most people could not, would not have, especially at 14 years old, to see an inhabitable space there in what was otherwise covered in, you know, dog doo-doo. I'm curious, you know, how having a a win there and turning that into an inhabitable spot, you know, led into the next steps in your career. And I would love to start to kind of turn into, um, I mean, you you founded a couple of successful uh, startups in the, the tech and IT industry, and uh, now you're doing um, you know, a lot in real estate. And so this is kind of just foreshadowing of, of where I'd, I'd love to see us go. But I mean, that's uh, 
you, you've you've been in a, a few different spots here, and I'm just curious, you know, how uh, your resourcefulness, um, how this uh, idea of all right, how can I uh, bring value to the world, like how that led from converting in a basement at 14 years old into startups, real estate investing, and uh, helping others now get get involved in investing and growing their own um, wealth portfolio, living in abundance. Absolutely. So uh, resourcefulness is a muscle. Just like I said, there's, there's never a lack of resources. We were, we're just so lucky to just be in the United States. Like people who talk about how the United States isn't so great, like they haven't seen the world. Like it's, I just kind of shake my head at the ignorance of anyone who's like, oh, it's better somewhere else. So you haven't been there. We are so lucky to the, the overwhelming abundance that we get the privilege to dwell in. And it's just our inability to, to tap those resources. Like if you, if you let's say you needed to, to raise money for a private equity fund, if you just go, I, I'm looking at there's a Costco through my window here. If I just walk into the parking lot of Costco, there's enough money to fill my entire private equity fund. I mean, that, that sounds like kind of almost a silly thing to say out loud because you wouldn't probably go accosting people in the parking lot of a Costco. But one of the more common investor calls I have is, is GPs of other, uh, you know, private equity funds or real estate syndications. And they're like, Oh, I'm, I'm really struggling. I need to raise 1.7 million for this deal. And I'm, I'm only at 600 K and I just don't know how to get the rest. It's impossible. And I'm like, really, there is a million dollars in that parking lot over there. You just you have to ask. You have to know how to ask, and you have to be willing to offer value, insane value, and that that will find its way back to you. So, you know, I I, I almost want to challenge these people sometimes. I, I don't because it, it it would not feel like it was coming from a place of love. But I would I would say like, have you knocked on any doors lately? Have you like mm. how many calls did you make today? Oh, you made zero calls today. You have you gone through every single contact in your cell phone, every person you've ever loved or you know had any kind of connection with in business or your personal life, your family? Have you really called? Oh, so your uncle has millions of dollars to to invest. You're just afraid to make the call. Well, if that's your level of resourcefulness, then yeah, you're gonna feel like it's hard to raise capital. And in our business, you know, we do multifamily real estate, and uh, it's a tough business. It's a, it's a contact sport. We serve people where they live. We get the privilege to make the world a better place to live in the most tangible sense of the word. But to do that successfully requires an extraordinary amount of resourcefulness. Here, here's an example. And this, this might be a tough story to hear. So I'll just, I'll just warn, your, warn your listeners right now. We bought an apartment building. This is a 100-year-old apartment building and it's located in a class a plus area it's it's a it's a historic neighborhood it's called called pill hill in the historic southwest in our area um you know historic preservation areas you know seven figure single family homes uh in an area where our median you know home value is 300k not not an expensive market here so uh it's a class d apartment building it's never been renovated in a hundred years it was built in 1921 and is 19 uh, it was 2021 when we bought it. Never renovated in a hundred years. So any assumption you can make about this building is, is probably pretty accurate. And we bought this building in 2021 at the peak of the pandemic. And there was a unit in this apartment building in the basement. It's always a basement unit. And we couldn't get into it as part of our due diligence tour. And we knew we knew it was going to be a rough unit. 
So we, we closed on the property and then we gave notice to the tenant said, Hey, we're going to go do a, a safety inspection. And when we walked this unit, it was, uh, it was the worst unit I've ever seen, uh, which is saying a lot. We've seen a lot again, yeah. you know, apartment buildings, imagine. it's a yeah. contact sport. And yeah. we had to, we had to immediately step out and we had to go get uh, PPE, get some personal protective gear. Um, we had to get a, a bucket, you know, like a, like a Home Depot bucket. And we filled up that bucket with drug paraphernalia, with pipes and foils and syringes and stuff I can't recognize. And there's obviously all manner of addiction and prostitution, all sorts of things happening in this unit. And there's this woman there. And we said, we love you. We want to serve you. We're going to take all these safety hazards that we're observing in the unit with us. You know, it's technically your personal property. If you want us to return that to you, just let us know because, uh, you know, we are actually legally obligated to return your personal property to you. If, if you so request, we'll make sure the police are there to, to make sure that 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 happens, you know, in accordance with the law. Um, we're going to remove all these safety hazards and uh, and we're going to be back tomorrow and the next day and the next day. And we will come back every single day until we have been able to serve you. We support this local drug, drug rehab program. You know, we can dial the phone. We can give you a ride. There's no judgment in our heart whatsoever. But we will not give up until we serve you. Do you understand? And we had to come back two more times. It was three visits. And she got into drug treatment. And she is in a much better place today. Wow. When we bought that building, they said, oh, yeah, it's a rough unit. But, you know, it's the eviction moratorium. So we can't kick her out. So first of all, the only thought that ever occurred to them is all we can do is to kick this person out onto the street. And they said, hear no evil, see no evil. That does not happen on our watch. That is not an acceptable level of resourcefulness. We are so much more resourceful than that. The members of my team are so much more resourceful than that. Everyone listening to this call is so much more resourceful than that that last property management company, this woman could have died due to their lack of resourcefulness. Mm -hmm. All they had to do was knock on the door and walk in and say, listen, we want to serve you. What's the minimum we can do? And yeah, technically when you call the police and say, hey, I've got a unit that has drug paraphernalia in it, the police won't help you. It's, it's crazy, but it's how it works. So what are you going to do? We'll, we'll take it, which technically required to return that property. You know, if you've got a Home Depot pail of drug paraphernalia, I think the cops might show up for that at least. And you know what? We can't evict you, but we can at least make it really a big nuisance for you to destroy your own life. Mm. It's not going to happen on our watch. And all it takes is a certain measure of resourcefulness. I don't think anyone has to be brilliant. This isn't like inventing relativity mm. to solve this problem. It's just sitting down and asking and caring and say, how can we this is not a good thing for anybody like it's not good for the person who owns the building it's not good for the property management company that manages the building it's certainly not good for the other tenants and it's definitely not good for the person living in that unit and yet a lot of landlords or property managers or whatever they just say oh well you know there's an eviction moratorium so we can't do anything about it and that's that's not how the world works whatever problem it is that you're confronting right now all of the resources you need are surrounding you in waves of endless abundance and you just need to tap into it and it 
and and that's that's all there is to it. So um, I hope that was a really kind of concrete example of that. Like like we train our team in resourcefulness. Do you think my team is going to struggle with a routine rent collections call after walking through that unit? I mean, it's a it's a tearful moment. Like like no, no one's walking out of that unit with a dry eye. I think my team is going to be set up for success for the failure. They see the standard that we hold ourselves to, our standard for resourcefulness. And once you've set that new standard, it never changes. And I'd encourage anyone listening on this call, just set a new standard for yourself in your resourcefulness. And all of a sudden, like everything you need, it will be provided with you. You don't even have to go out and get it. It's there. You just have to ask. And, 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 I, I, maybe that sounds like a little bit of woo-woo nonsense, but but it's the truth of the matter. And I hope anyone listening who doesn't believe in mindset, it would just occur to them, yeah, I could see how someone would say, yeah, there's this horrible thing going on in this unit and I can't evict that person, but what else could I do? How else could I serve this person? And if you just make that shift, anything is possible in any aspect of your life. I think that's so good and an amazing example and uh, and I think you're right that we have far more resources uh, around us than we realize. I also think that um, one of our greatest challenges in society today is that most people, and I include myself in this more than I would like, just lack a imagination or creativity. Like it, it's too easy to hit the roadblock at, or, or just kind of fall into the, well, uh, all we can do is an eviction or wait, and we're, we kind of feel like we're at the mercy of these, uh, you know, exterior forces, politicians, or whoever. Uh, I'm the question here is just um, okay. So, for resourcefulness, the creativity and imagination to do so. If you think of that as a, a muscle that needs to be exercised, what are some of the ways that? You've done that personally, and obviously you've got an amazing team around you that you're constantly training. So for our listeners, for me, you know, how do I stretch that muscle to become a more resourceful, uh, creative problem solver? So I think the, the name of the game is to really push yourself outside your comfort zone, to push yourself outside mm-hmm. your comfort zone. So the, the hypothetical example I mentioned is, you know, someone who's trying to raise capital, and they actually know all the people they need to call and they're just afraid to make that call they're act- they're actually calling the lowest yield people if they're making any calls at all because they're afraid of 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 that conversation they're may- they're maybe even afraid of getting a yes like well shoot what happens then and I-, I love spending as much time as i can with people who are who are further along in the success journey than i am and i always thought that as i you know, spent more time with more and more successful people. They'd be people who were like more intelligent or, you know, born with more wealth or, you know, they they have like certain tangible advantages and nothing could be further from the truth. In fact, Mm. as I go up that ladder, I see people who started with fewer resources and learned more resourcefulness. I see people, if you are uh, dyslexic, you are actually like a like billionaires have an insanely skewed likelihood to become dyslexic or to be dyslexic, which isn't to say that if you're dyslexic, you're going to be a billionaire. Just if you are a billionaire, it is very likely that you're dyslexic. Why is that? Because you learned to overcome at a young age, like you couldn't read and you had to figure out a different way forward. And you know what? That's all that matters in life. It's just grit. It's just resourcefulness. And these people learn to check their comfort at the door a long time ago. 
Comfort is the price of success and abundance and fulfillment. And these people, they just get really uncomfortable, or I'm sorry, really comfortable with being uncomfortable. You know, I'm in conversation with them, and I was hanging out with the largest private home builder in Tennessee. And he's like, Nick, we've got 20 houses we built last year, still haven't sold a single one of them. And he's, I mean, he's laughing about it. And I mean, I'm sure he's lost millions of dollars on it. Fortunately, those homes are sold now. It's uh, May 12th, so the housing market's picked up. He sold all those houses now. This was this was a, a few months ago. This was like three months ago, and he's laughing that he's losing millions of dollars. Talk about just being comfortable with being uncomfortable. I'm sure he's uncomfortable with it, but he just knows it's the game, right. and he knows it's a cycle, and it's going to come back around. He hadn't discounted any of his homes a penny because he knew if he just because if he did that. That would reduce the value of his neighborhoods. It would piss off the people he sold houses to the last several years. Like it would be a disastrous long-term, you know, conclusion. It takes a tremendous amount of grit to hang on for. I think they went like nine months without selling a single house. Largest builder, largest private home builder in, in Tennessee. Yeah, I think he went is at least seven months without selling a single house, and he's laughing about it. He is six months into the seven-month stretch, and he's laughing about it. That right there, that that is what it is. So so how do you how do you exercise that muscle of resourcefulness? It's just, just to get comfortable with being uncomfortable, and that's gonna be different things for different people. So Sarah Blakely famously, mm -hmm. she'll like uh, lay down on a sidewalk in the like in New York City, and uh, like get onto an elevator and sing at the top of her lungs. She will stand up on the boardroom table before a big meeting. She'll deliberately humiliate herself because she knows that's something that she struggles with of maybe seeking the approval or acceptance of other people. I mean, you know, she's in the business of helping women find that approval with Spanx and everything. So she knows she has to work constantly to keep that at bay, to keep that feeling at bay so that she can stay in discomfort. She can keep herself being comfortable with discomfort. It could be something as simple as just taking a cold shower in the morning. I know that sounds crazy. And sometimes I have to convince myself to do it. I, I, I don't take cold shower every morning, let me be clear. But I do it, I don't know, once a week or something like that, just to tell myself that I can. Like when I tell my body something to do something, it does it. So a lot of people these days are doing cold plunges, which is the same thing, just kind of further down that spectrum. Um, you know, my, my physical health is something I struggled with a lot in the past. That's doing a lot better now. I'm in the gym, you know, five days a week with a personal trainer. That's an area of discomfort. I looked at my body and I'm like, you know, I feel a little uncomfortable with what I see in the mirror. And if I live in denial of that discomfort, if I don't confront that discomfort, that uh, that is going to manifest itself in my business, in my relationship with my children, in my relationship with my wife. Hell, hell that's actually a direct one. Like, you know, if we're contemplating making an unhealthy decision and I want my, I want my kids to grow up to be healthy, I can't speak with authority telling them to eat their veggies if I just had a Big Mac for lunch, right? So, you know, what is the area of your life that you are most uncomfortable with right now? What is the area of your life where you... Uh, have the have the greatest feelings of anxiety or fear uh, you know so new york city council yesterday just passed a law that uh being being obese is now a protected class so talk about trying to um uh the, the opposite of what we're talking about right so so it's actually prohibited to even talk about being obese like no no i need people to tell me out to call me out if i'm not in the health that i need to be in i need i need people to be real with me i need to be real with myself 
I need to be okay with that discomfort. So it's going to be a different thing for each individual person. If you're afraid of public speaking, go out there and do some public speaking. Um, if you're afraid of you know picking up the phone and making a call, like you need to just set a rule for yourself that you're not allowed to go home until you make you know ten calls, and you need to get an accountability buddy who says uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna call you on your shit. Like did you make your ten calls today? Uh, you know there, there's there's lots of different you know specific tactical things I could make suggestions on that would be kind of a case-by-case -case thing, but it's going to be whatever the thing is that makes you the most uncomfortable. If you lean into that thing, like you will build that resourcefulness muscle in short order, e either to confront that thing or to avoid it. Like resourcefulness, uh, you, using resourcefulness to avoid the things that make you uncomfortable, that's a totally legit thing. You're like, let's say you hate talking on the phone, but you build an amazing system for text message and email follow-up or whatever. Maybe you still have a little bit of a weakness there, but you're going to build that resourcefulness muscle, even, even maybe not directly confronting it. That's so good. I love that. Yeah, embracing your fear not as uh, something to avoid and stay away from, but seeing your fears as opportunity for uh, greater improvement. And and it's funny that you mentioned the uh, the morning cold showers. Nick and I got together uh, early yesterday morning to just kind of talk about habits and things that we're cultivating. That was number one on his list of things that he's uh, starting to do most mornings now, just just to develop that you know uh, discomfort and uh, right. and to not not live such a comfortable life, but just to start like. Okay. I mean, that line that you had, comfort is the price of success and abundance. Like you got to be right. willing to sacrifice comfort if you want success and abundance. And that's a tough pill for a lot of folks to swallow. But in your own life, and I think that's been such a consistent theme of every successful person we've had the privilege to talk with on this podcast, uh, they have had to sacrifice comforts. And um, so it's good to hear that affirmed. Thank you. Yeah, I, I agree wholeheartedly. And interestingly, to, to pivot a little bit, you know, you talk, we're, we're talking about comforts, but we're really talking about fear, you know, whether it's the public speaking or, you know, the, the various fears. And I think we would all agree that's probably a huge hurdle for a lot of folks. So curious in your own life, maybe what are some ways you have failed and learned in the failures? Because it's super easy to sit here and say, hey, fail forward, fail often, you know, but nobody wants to fail. And so curious, because I think that fear of failing does keep people on the sideline. So curious of maybe some, some stories of your past of failures and fears and maybe some ways you've overcome them. Sure. How about stories of the present? So, uh, <laughs> yeah. So, so fear and failure, they are part and parcel of the process. Wow. That sounded really good. Let's jot that one down. Fear and failure are yeah, part no and parcel doubt. of the process. It could be like a book title or something. So seriously, <laughs> successful people, they learn to, to harness that fear, to ride that fear, to dance with that fear, to let that fear guide them and not, uh, and, and to drive them and, and not to, not to crush them, not to smother them, not to, to hold them back. Um, you know, courage is not an absence of fear. It's to feel that fear fully and to move forward despite it or with it or, you know, in, in concert with that fear. That fear is going to keep you alive and it's going to drive you and motivate you in a, in a really kind of like blissful way. So have you ever had a problem and it was it felt like a really big problem, like a, like a really difficult problem to solve? And you, you suddenly had like a breakthrough moment and you, you like 
started to feel the feeling like like the tables were turning on that problem and and all of a sudden you had like this this breakout like we're gonna we're gonna master this thing we're gonna we're gonna beat this have you ever had that feeling isn't mm-hmm. that like the best feeling? It's like it's like one of the best feelings. It's hyper motivating. You're almost manic. You're like, all right, yeah, we're gonna do this, and then this, and then this, and then and then it won't be a problem at all. Like like, the fear is what makes that feeling so electric. And to try to suppress the fear, is to deny one of the most powerful drivers that you have with inside. So so this is not like I'm gonna teach you to do a meditation that's gonna make the fear go away. No 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 no. I want you to feel that fear. If you if you learn to ignore the fear, like that's like taking Tylenol, like it makes the pain go away, but it just it just suppresses the pain. Pain is your body's way of telling you stop doing that. And mental pain, fear, anxiety, these are your brain's way of telling you stop doing that. Don't take antidepressants. That just makes the the fear uh, you know get get suppressed. Like you need to know what's making you depressed, and stop doing that thing. So. Uh, Right now in our company, we grew by 20% uh, four weeks ago. We had we had a couple of huge acquisitions, and and we're growing our team. You know, our team's like tripled in the last year, and we're going to the peak of the high season. So in Minnesota, it's you know seasonal. <laughs> uh, there's like eight, eight 12 weeks no out of the doubt. year where we do most of our leasing for the whole year, right? So it is a somewhat seasonal business, and uh, and and we. Uh, we promoted some of our staff, uh, you know, in concert with some of this growth and stuff, and 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 we've hired a bunch of new staff. And one of our kind of entry level positions is is a leasing agent, right? Uh, you get out there and you show units and you lease units. And I, I don't know how I failed to do this, but I, I should have like done some sort of future org chart exercise or something. But it turned out that as of like four weeks ago. Every single one of our leasing agents had like 90 days experience. <laughs> there was like an all green team. Yeah. And I'm looking at our key performance indicators and I'm like, whoa, our leasing performance is way down, even though we're like into the peak of the high season. And I'm like talking to Elaine about it. I'm like, what's going on? And it it took us like several weeks to figure it out. We're like, wait a second. We like promoted all of our experienced people and changed these teams to, you know, to go with the growth. And we literally have zero veterans that are out there signing leases. And it was just the most idiotic, like truly idiotic thing, like just failure of leadership we ever could have possibly done. Just, it's just a blunderous oversight on our part. And that's okay. Like we could beat ourselves up, but oh my God, what have we done? No, we have to get resourceful. So uh, Elaine and I, we, uh, we had this amazing trip and we, we took that trip and when we got back, uh, we're like, okay, we're gonna cancel all of our future travel. We're not gonna do any new speaking engagements, which you know is a lot. We're gonna knock out a bunch of investor calls and try to get that stabilized. We did like 50 investor calls last week. Uh, we're going to book out our nanny. We're gonna be working nights and weekends. Uh, we're gonna hire people. We hired four people in the last week. I was training three of those people today just before I jumped on this call. Uh, we're gonna trade. We're gonna do leasing. You know, we're gonna hire a bunch of leasing agents because our current staff really aren't anywhere near adequately trained. And we need to kind of like throw them into the fire. Like we, we needed to hire these people like last November so they had more time to train so that they could be proficient in their job when now is the time to shine. And my wife, I mean, we're managing a third of a billion in assets under management. We've got 40 employees, but my wife is processing applications at 10 o'clock at night. And I am doing one-on-one coaching sessions all day throughout the day with our green leasing agents so that they have all the tools that they need. And, and we've uh, quadrupled our leasing throughput so far, like the number of leases per week we're signing. Uh, and then we're going to bring on a bunch more staff and hopefully we'll 
add a couple more X to that. Maybe we'll like five X our leasing velocity. We really only needed to like double it, maybe two and a half to kind of hit, you know, fill up before the end of the year. But since my wife and I are so focused on it, like let's just go all out. We're gonna hire a bunch of seasonal people. If they're rock stars, then uh, we'll keep them. You know, we'll, we'll find a job for them. And if they're not so great, then, uh, you know, this was a seasonal thing. You've got 90, 120 days to prove your mettle. You're going to learn an insane amount if you get to just work for us for 90 days. I promise it will change your life. I know that sounds ludicrous. It will change your life to work for us for 90 days. I promise you. And you just need to go work your heart out. Lease as many units as you can. Like, we have so many leads to follow up with that you can't do any harm. So we're going to just go hire a ton of amazing people, hire them for personality. We can train them in the skills. Uh, we're going to do a ton of process improvement because we're like, you know, we're, we're closer to the work than we've been in like a couple of years, you know, because we used to have, uh, you know, mid-level managers between us and like doing showings. And I've already, you know, we've identified a hundred different ways to improve our processes because our portfolio looks very different than it looked two years ago. Uh, we're going to get a ton of just quality time with our team. So our team, like my wife, uh, who again is my full partner in the business, a lot of times she would only really get involved if there was a problem, right? If someone did something wrong and it kind of like escalated to her level, which is just shitty energy. Like no one wants to be that person, you know? And uh, so now she gets the time to actually hang out with these people and, you know, talk to them about their personal lives and help them celebrate their wins. She's not just there when something kind of escalates to your boss's boss or whatever. We're going, and, and there, there's this other reality out here where we could say, oh my God, I can't believe I have to go sign a lease. I, I can't believe I have to go train my people when two years ago I had managers to do all this for me. Woe is me and I want a four hour work week. No one in their life is doing anything interesting on a four hour work week. I hate that book. Like Elon, Elon Musk is not getting us off of earth on four hours a week. So I do. I, I choose to be invigorated by this opportunity to be fully engaged in my team in a way I really haven't been in a long time. And this is a season. We're going to be doing this for the next, you know, eight to 12 weeks. And then when we're done, we're going to have the most rock star leasing team that we have ever had in the history of this company. And we're going to be grooming a generation of leaders. You know, when we've got 200 employees a couple of years from now, the people that we are in the trenches with today are going to be those leaders. So, I mean, we instigated the most epic failure in the history of our company, like just just through growth and staffing changes. I mean, these just things happen like at no point did we stop and say, wait a second. We just took every experienced person on this team and left all the green people. And now we've got a blank slate and we can go hire a ton more people because it's just as easy to tra train 10 people as it is to train five. And when we're done, we're going to have even more amazing people. And, uh, and, and, you know, all of your greatest successes, I promise you, they come about as a result of your failures. And as long as you never fail to learn, you, by, by definition, those who refuse to give up cannot fail. If you just keep trying to learn and improve, eventually the obstacle that stands in your way becomes this insane, you know, advantage that other people are like, how the heck do they do that? That that's the, the concept is the obstacle is the way it's a great book. You can check out on, on stoic philosophy. Um, so, so I've, I've drilled down on that. You know, I, I could, I could throw out a bunch of other examples if, if you want to, I can do that. But like, that's something that I am in the thick of right this second, you know, uh, I am in the thick of like, I could sit here and, and be paralyzed with fear. Like our company is losing like a million dollars a month on vacancy right now. Now, 
by my projections with all the changes we've made, we'll be losing like a hundred grand a month within, you know, a very short span of time. Like we're, we're, we've turned the corner, we're fixing the problem, but I could let that fear paralyze me or I could dance with that fear. I could let that fear drive me to new levels of success. And, and the really cool thing about it, the really cool thing about it that people don't realize is that once you've conquered something that's really hard, everything else is easy. That's one of the greatest gifts I was given that I had to solve some really hard problems. I was born at rock bottom. And so it's a gift that I could be losing a million dollars a month. Like that's such a place of privilege to have, isn't it? Like, yeah. like you have to have the million dollars to start with before you could lose the million dollars. And then yeah. to do that every month, like, man, that's amazing. That's like so much better than not knowing where your next meal is going to come from. Once you've solved the thing that is the really hard problem to you, everything else is a joke. You, you almost chuckle like, how is this person sweating this thing? This is not a big deal. But until you conquer that hard fear, it almost seems like everything is hard. You're like, oh man, yeah, I'm struggling with my time management. I'm struggling with my fear of public speaking. I can see how it'd be crippling for them to struggle with this problem. Like, it, it, once you conquer that fear, it's, it's a repeatable pattern. If, if I was losing a billion dollars a month, which at some point, I promise you, there will be a situation where I am losing a billion dollars a month. That's just the mathematical trajectory my life is on. I'm going to laugh about it. The same way Elon Musk jokes on Twitter about how he lost billions of dollars on the deal. That's not crazy. That's the, that is the pattern of every successful person that to them, it's a privilege that they have such big problems. And if you can't laugh at them, if you can't have fun with them, if you can't dance with your fear of them, it will cripple you and you'll never move forward. Yeah. That's so helpful to be able to zoom out and take the larger perspective. And uh, in life, you're always going to have problems. But if you can learn to like your problems, um, that's, that's a pretty good spot to, to be. And then, um, yeah, I, uh, I love the, um, just that whole mindset. I mean, it was a great line that the fear and failure is part and parcel with the, the process. Um, and so yeah, your, your choice to be invigorated by your work, to, um, to look at uh, your failure not as a setback um, ultimately, but as a, a setup now for uh, new opportunity, new ability to, to grow. Um, it's just a wonderful framing and perspective to approach failure with. Yeah, that's so, so true. Well, we're, uh, we're going to pivot. I got a couple more questions before we jump into our, our final round. And as you're sharing, I mean, you're talking about the trajectory and the growth. One of the questions that I thought about, you know, a lot of people to go from, um, start up to a hundred million and to think about just achieving that they would say, Hey, I've arrived, I've reached my potential. I'm going to sit back and relax, you know, then to say, and, and you've done it twice, but then to also say, no, I'm going to start a, a real estate company and we're going to grow to 250 million in assets under management. Again, at that point, somebody might say, I've arrived. Uh, there's nothing more for me to do. I'm going to sit back and, and relax. But 
as we've talked for now about an hour, there's no signs of slowing down. I mean, there's no, there's, I mean, you're just getting started. I mean, if, if we're just, if we're being honest and that's the mindset that you have. So curious for you, like, what is driving that? What is the force behind this to say, hey, like, I'm not slowing down. I hate the four-hour work week book. I'm ready to grind and go and do what, what needs to be done. Sure. So first of all, let's talk about the, the, the positive or the let's talk about the negative first. So there's something called the astronauts problem. I've never, I don't know if you've heard of this, but like there's these men who went and walked on the moon and they came back to Earth and they became alcoholics and burnouts and had really horrible outcomes because they achieved the most incredible thing a human being has ever achieved in the history of humanity. What the heck do you do after that? Right? There's no there's no more dopamine left for you at, at after after an achievement like that. And progress is what really makes any any human being happy and the moment you feel like you're not making progress you just you feel you feel empty you feel hollow it doesn't matter how much you have and some people say well you need to learn to be like content and that's true uh, but I think you need to just live in in full acceptance that we were created to grow I think it's a beautiful thing that we have to grow or we die and nature or God or whatever you believe in has made it that way for a reason. And it's a it's a beautiful, beautiful reason indeed. So if you decide to, you know, ride off into the sunset, you know, hang out on a beach, maybe that will float your boat for a while, but probably not for long. That's that's just how how we're made. And sometimes I think there's a little bit of almost like a, like like a guilt or shame associated with with both sides of that coin uh you know why can't i be happy i have so much i feel so lucky but i just don't feel fulfilled it's because you're not growing it's not you're not giving you're not serving uh or you know the the flip side of that is you know i i want to be content and i just can't i feel restless and there's something wrong with me no no there isn't you're you're meant to go out and give and grow and that's okay or Let's say you are, you know, doing crazy, amazing things with your life, and and sometimes we have a tendency in in society, I think, to to you know cast judgment. You know, Elon Musk must be nice to have all that money. <laughs> Elon deserves everything he has and ten times more. That dude is saving Earth and getting us off Earth at the same time in case he doesn't pull it off. Like he he must feel like Atlas with the world on his shoulders. <laughs> And he should feel not an ounce of shame for a penny that he has to his name. And at the end of the day, if we all just live in full acknowledgement that we were created to grow, to give, to never stop striving, we're going to lead exceptionally rich lives. I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to say something that might be a little hard for your audience to hear. I hope they're not on the golf course or sitting on a beach when they hear it. I don't care what you believe in, call it God or the universe, source, Maya, Mother Earth, something gave you the gift of life. You didn't have to earn the breath within your lungs, the your heart beating in your chest. That was a gift that was given to you by your parents and your ancestors. Whatever it is that you believe in, it is a gift that was given to you. And for whatever reason, 
we were created to grow and to give you have this incredible light with inside like like your job is just to shine that light and don't ever be ashamed of that light don't ever don't ever hold that light back don't let anybody in your life say oh you're going too fast or you're too loud or you're too proud or you know you, you don't you don't get along with everybody like that is you you were created to be a perfect being and to and to run at at that wide open throttle your whole life and if you ever hold back on that that is an affront to the thing that created you i don't know if you all have kids but like like imagine your kid who you know is they're at the track and field day and they they just didn't run as fast as they could. They got one medal. They could have gotten ten, but they're like, yeah, uh, I, I wouldn't want people to judge me if I got ten medals. Like how how disappointed would you be in your creation in the thing that you made because they didn't give it their all? That's the only obligation you have to yourself, to the universe, whatever, is to just give it your all. And if you do that, everything you need will be given to you. So for me to ever stop, that would be an affront to God. Like, like that's, that's, that's my sincere belief anyway. And as long as you are driving for the right reasons, you will never want to stop. I hope that one day we change capitalism in some small way. We have a private equity fund. It has no fees whatsoever. We get no profit whatsoever until our investors get a full return of capital. Uh, you know, uh, 5% goes to our staff and a profit share. 5% goes to charity. It's unlike anything I've ever seen before. And I hope that, you know, the same way like Warren Buffett has changed capitalism with the pledge with, you know, it's not yours. Like you have to give it away. Like I, what, what if we changed capitalism in some small way? And even if we didn't, what if we rounded up a billion dollars in assets and just gave it all away? How freaking cool would that be? That's something that's going to drive you. It's something that's going to get you up in the morning. It's going to get you shouting. And that's the feeling of being alive. Whatever it is for me, sitting on a beach is not the feeling of being alive. Being content is not the feeling of being alive. Striving, clawing forward, fighting against failure, never stopping. That's the thing that feels like being alive to me. And all the most depressed people I know, de depression is a, it's an act it's it's a behavior it's like i mean i didn't wake up till 11 o'clock today and i for some reason i just don't have any energy well maybe it's because you didn't leap out of bed at six o'clock in the morning to go conquer the day to go grow and to go give and maybe if you went and did those things you wouldn't be depressed anymore and i say that as a person who has no judgment in my heart for people with depression i say it as a person who has you know, infinite. I'm I'm a minister. I've I've ministered to countless people who struggle with depression, and I'm like, no, no, you don't need meds. You don't need a better mindset. You need to go. You need to go do something. And if you do that, you're gonna feel amazing. And just try it. Like like like, stop listening to this podcast. Just go run a mile. Just go volunteer at a food shelf. Just go start a business. You're gonna feel alive. It's gonna scare the hell out of you, but you're gonna feel alive. And like. The moment you stop feeling that is the moment you start dying. My my mom recently passed away about nine months ago, and she couldn't uh, see me and the kids when um, when there was COVID. And I remember when she told me she was going to choose to die. It's a choice. She just decided life wasn't worth living anymore, and I really mourn that she didn't have the whatever she needed to continue. You have to choose every day to live.
and to grow and to never stop making that choice. And the moment you wake up in the morning and choose something less than that, you die. She died not very long after she made that choice. Hmm. And the people at the hospital said that's how it works. It was a very deeply spiritual thing. I, I, I did not realize until last year that people choose when they die. And the, the, the hospice people said that's how it works. And I encourage anyone listening on this call, do not choose contentment. That is death. Choose growth. Choose discomfort. And if you do that, you will lead the most rich life you could ever possibly imagine. And one day you will die, but you'll do it with a smile on your face, striving for that immortal last dream that you never quite achieved, and you'll be celebrated for it. Our heroes that we celebrate, they're not the people who got to a place and coasted. They're the people who fought for their very last breath and died, striving for something greater than themselves. And I think they lived a very beautiful existence because of that. It's something that we all want in our hearts, and all we have to do is just choose more. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. No, I, I mean, honestly, I feel like we could end it here, but, uh, <laughs> I, um, I, I love that and, and am grateful for the motivation that keeps you going, the encouragement to our listeners and to our audience who, you know, Hey, how do I get started? And, and that was going to be my next question, but I, I think you even just answered that it's, it's go find something to do, go find something that makes you joyful, that grows you, that challenges you, that continues to propel you forward and that's the only way to keep going so that's right well let, i got i got just a couple more questions we jump into our gold nugget round which is uh the questions we ask all our guests you've answered i'm pretty sure most of them at this point but uh <laughs> let me let me throw the first one at you so we talk a lot about the six f's of abundant journey it's something we've come up with so family faith fitness finance, future, and failures. And I'm pretty sure we've hit all of those today, but what is one of those areas just right now in life that you're working on getting better? You know, I mentioned fitness, uh, and that needs to get better still. I mean, I, I'm up to like a 345 deadlift, and that's something I'm really, really proud of, but uh, it, still, it still needs to get better. I'm, a, I'm 231 pounds right now. I mean, even with uh, even with like a 345 deadlift, I should be you know 180 pounds, right? I mean, I've I've got an extra 50 pounds of body fat on me. I'm pretty you know pretty happy with the way I look right now. Like I look, I think I look pretty damn good. But but the truth is, I'm not healthy. If I'm going to be really honest with myself, uh, and uh, and that's something I struggle with. My wife's doing fantastic. She's uh, you know she's on that same you know. Uh, journey with me as, as so so often the case the people that we love the most have we inherit each other's strengths and weaknesses that way so uh, she and she's been pregnant or nursing for a decade <laughs> so this is the first time she's had a break uh, from that in about 10 years and she just looked incredible and is uh, you know in the in the best shape she's been in in about 10 years uh, but I really need to uh, you know I'm in the gym a lot and I'm really strong and I feel incredibly vital I was hiking in Utah a couple weeks ago, and I had you know one kid on my back and carrying another kid, and people were like, "Holy crap, super dad! Like, how are you sprinting up this mountain?" You know, but the truth is, I'm still I'm still obese. I'm still like you know in the in the 20s for body fat percentage, and I need to be really. That's something. And I mean, I'm sure you can feel the discomfort in my voice when I share this with you. But this is just, I need to do better uh, on the nutrition side, and I need to. 
I need to make sure I don't pass on a legacy of unhealth to my children. My, yeah. my mom died of diabetes. I mean, she, she, she died in, in stage four kidney failure uh, as a result of diabetes. And I grew up being raised by a diabetic mom, being taught all those habits. And uh, that's not an excuse. That's just context of the story that this is a, you know, it's, it's not very motivating to make yourself healthy, but as a father, my job on this earth is to protect my children. And right now I could be doing a better job protecting them from diabetes. I mean, that's, that's the most likely thing to kill them. You know, that, my children, fortunately, are very healthy. They're in way better shape than I'm in because I force them to eat healthier than I do, <laughs> right? Like, like I need to find someone who can manage my nutrition the way I manage my children's nutrition or just eat the stuff that I make them eat and I would be set. Uh, so, and that's, maybe that's a little insightful thing I just came up with just now for myself. So that's helpful. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's how we provide a value to you today <laughs> since you've provided an hour of value to us. So, well, no, and, and thank that you for being, might be a stretch, but. <laughs> that's right. Well, thank you for being, being vulnerable and o- open about that. I, I think that's huge. And again, I, you know, that's why I think our hearts are near and dear. I, not a pitch for abundant journey, but there's a recognition that this is a journey. And we've continued to talk today about the different areas of the journey, and fitness is one of them. And so you're acknowledging that, I think. You're doing something about it. You're being active. And so continue, and, and we encourage you in that. And, and you know, again, thank you for sharing that one. So, um, all right, question two. Again, you've, sa- you've shared a, probably a few of these at this point, but what's a quote – from a book or mentor that stuck with you along your journey? Yeah, I guess I'd recommend anyone, if you haven't, to go read the the book, The Alchemist. It's a very short book. Um, <clears throat> I'm trying to think, I don't, I can't think of like an exact uh, quote from The Alchemist. It's a very short book written as a parable. I'm sorry, is my internet cutting out on me here? No, we can hear you. Nope. <laughs> little anticlimactic moment here. You're good on our end. We can hear you still. Can you hear us? Okay. Uh, So yeah, I'd recommend anyone read the book, The Alchemist. And uh, when I, uh, you know, we've already gone super long, so I I don't want to get too deep into it. But there was a moment when I felt called to read The Alchemist when I was being brought home. And and there's a lot of, you know, messages in The Alchemist. But I'd say one one of the core messages is that the treasure you seek is is all around you it's 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 in your home it's it's where you live but often we have to go out looking for it to find it and Hmm. most people you know kind of talking about like our resourcefulness you know kind of kind of you know discussion thread there uh most people are looking for something and they feel a sense of scarcity of lack and there is no lack. And the thing that you need is is right at hand. You just need to learn to find it, to recognize it. And the moment you do that, you're going to lead an incredibly rich life. So I recommend anyone who hasn't, go read The Alchemist. It's a very short book. You can read it in just a couple hours or something like that. You, the audio book is just a you know six hours long or something like that. So go read The Alchemist. Oh, that's awesome. Thank you. What uh, we've talked about dreams and goals, and what's a dream or a goal that you've not been able to make happen yet? That's a tough one. Uh, I guess, and and I guess that's like such a place of privilege or something, right? Like, like I feel like I have 
gotten everything I could have dreamed of and so much more. Um, you know, I live in this beautiful home and I literally wake up every morning and one of my coaches hates, hates this. I have, I have a lot of coaches and stuff, mentors. And I, and I say, I can't believe I get to live here. And he says, well, don't say that because you're teaching your brain, you know, that, that you don't belong there or something like, no, no, like I just, I get to live this incredible dream life. So it's, it's spring in Minnesota and I have a house on a wooded lot. So like we had all the windows open. So it's just like the crickets chirping and the smell of dew on the grass and like this cool breeze blowing in. And like, this is what I get to wake up to. And like, it only gets better from here. Like, how is this possible that I get to live this life? And uh, I think we all get to live our dreams. And if we just celebrate that. So, uh, you know, so, so Tony Robbins, a huge mentor of mine, uh, he has this crazy belief that if all you do is celebrate the thing that you want, it will happen effortlessly. Like we, we have the cart before the horse. We have to get the thing before we celebrate the thing. It's like, no, no, no. If we just celebrate, like amazing things will just happen. They'll just manifest themselves. And, uh, and so that's, that's just what I do is I just kind of live in constant celebration of all the amazing things that I have mm-hmm. and more amazing things just keep coming to me. And, uh, and I guess that would be, you know, maybe, maybe advice I'd give to anyone listening on this call, like just pause it for a second and just think of the thing in your life you're most grateful for, like visualize it, talk to yourself about it. And if you just never stop doing that, I mean, I'd probably stop 10 times a day just to do that. And, uh, and then like more amazing things are going to happen to you when you live in that feeling. Heart, hearts of gratitude. I love that. And that's such good advice. Last question here. At the end of your life, what do you hope you'll be remembered for? There is uh, a, uh, a plaque in the national parks to uh, Stephen Mathers. Um, I just looked at one in Zion, and uh, which I think is like just about the most beautiful place on Earth, Zion National Park. Mm-hmm. He's the father of the U.S. National Park Service, and and this was uh, the national parks were described as America's greatest idea. America's greatest idea, not freedom or liberty or whatever, that we would recognize that humans tend to be, uh, we, we terraform things and make them into what we want. We manifest our reality that we want. And that's usually a really good thing, but sometimes it's not. And there's some sacred places that man should never change. It's not our right. These places were made by God and, and they should never be changed. And on that plaque, It says, there will never come an end to the good that he has done. There will never come an end to the good that he has done. How profound is that? Like, you know, uh, Henry Ford or something, like at some point there will come an end to the good that he has done, or the Rockefellers or the Carnegies. At some point there will come an end to the good that they have done. But, But Mathers, he said, no, this is a sacred place that should never be changed. And a thousand years from now, I promise you, Zion will look exactly the way it does today because of Mathers. I hope that one day someone in some tiny way would say about me, there will never come an end to the good that he has done. Eternal, eternal impact. I love that. And of course, that's Nick. I was going to say, I mean, it sounds like if uh, your birthday party from a couple of weeks ago is uh, any indication, you're well on your way to uh, that life mission and goal, which is a really remarkable thing. 
Um, my gosh, this has been uh, such a rich conversation. I, I cannot thank you enough uh, for your, thank your you. time. There's a whole lot here that uh, Nick James and I have to reflect on. I'm sure that um, we, from time to time, do uh, a reflection episode um, when there's been as much wisdom as we've gotten here so that we and our listeners can help digest it. So I, I look forward to unpacking more of the notes and things that I wrote down with, uh, with him. But... Um, Best way for people to connect with you, to follow what you're doing, to invest. We'll put all this in the, the show notes, but where would you send folks? Yeah, anyone can go to meetblackswan.com, meetblackswan.com. There's a link to my calendar. I'll warn you my calendar's blocked for the next eight weeks or so as we uh, make sure we get everything leased in the peak of the high season here. Uh, I believe in just radical transparency, so that's just how it is. But normally sure. um, my calendar is very open, and, and I recommend you jump on there and book a time for, you know, for a couple months from now. Uh, whatever I can do to provide you with value, if you're struggling in your marriage, in your business, with a member of your team, with your boss, whatever – uh, you know, again, I, I don't, I don't like work at a church or anything like that. Like th this is my ministry. I love just serving people. My wife is a psychiatrist who trained at the Mayo Clinic. Uh, you can block time with her if, if you prefer that speed. Uh, not, not that I'm saying this is open to therapy sessions. If you'd like to invest with us, <laughs> about that as well. we do have a private equity fund. We've got uh, fund three coming up here at some point, uh, in the near future as we, uh, uh, you know, get some acquisitions lined up for that for that fund. Um, it's a, it's a, a generational wealth vehicle that offers you know kind of just a radical alignment of incentives. We don't have any fees whatsoever. We don't get any profit whatsoever from the vehicle until you've gotten a full return of capital. And then it's a 50-50 split after that. That's everything. If you if you compare that to you know pretty much any other you know investment vehicle of its sort out there, there's really no scenario where you don't come out ahead with our structure there. Um, for Elaine and I, it's just a way to serve, a way to create change. I mean, we do make a lot of money eventually on it, but uh, that would be the best way that anyone here would be able to connect with us or, or provide me with value. If there's anyone that, that you know that might benefit from having a conversation with us or investing with us, you can sign up for our mailing list, uh, jump on our wait list for the fund, look at some of our historical educational content. We've got a course where we give away uh, our whole playbook. So we, we joke that the fund is the restaurant and the, the course is our cookbook. So, you know, if you... If you like the restaurant, you want to make it at home, you go check out the cookbook. Or if you buy the cookbook and you're like, man, this is pretty good, but I just want to go to the restaurant and get the, you know, the the the, the original source, then you've got, you know, both options there. 100% of the revenue from that course goes to charity, and it's a pay what you can model for our course. So whatever whatever amount of money you're able to pay, you know, just know that 100% revenue goes to charity. Uh, we do free educational webinars every month. Uh, you know, if you sign up for our course, we do free group coaching every month. We just try to create massive value for as many people as possible. And then whatever, you know, our, our first private equity fund filled in a single day because there's just so many people out there who's, who are excited to, you know, to, to give back. And, uh, and, and we just, I don't know, that's, that's just our, our thing. So meetblackswan.com. There's lots of different ways to connect with us. And I look forward to connecting with, uh, you know, people, uh, people who are listening to this today. Yeah. Awesome. Yes, well, we encourage all of our listeners to go. I mean, there's so many different avenues. It sounds like they can be served by you and everything that you're doing and, and jump in. So, again, thank you so much for your time. This has been incredibly rich. My pleasure. Yep. All right. Well, we're going to wrap it up here. Thanks for listening, folks. Give a like, give a follow, and uh, share this one. And there's lots of wisdom here from Nick. So thanks for jumping in, and we'll talk to you next time.